I've been doing a series called Judging God. And uh, while on face value, one could think, can't judge God. You know, who are we to judge God? My point is, great fella, how are you? Good. What's your name? Javis? Solomon. Oh, that's a good name, Solomon. God bless you. I usually see your dad and your sisters. Yeah, you're five now. Well, then you should be in church. Good man. Everybody give Solomon a big hand. Uh-huh. Good. All right. I think I just got him started. <laughs> good on you. All right. Uh, you know, we assess people. We size people up. We make conclusions. Like it or not like it, we make judgments about people. And we have to be careful not to make wrong judgments or quick judgments. We make judgments about God. Judging God. This whole title comes from a verse where Sarah finally had a miracle in her life. In the beginning, she laughed at God. In the end, she laughed with God. And the Bible says the change came because she judged him who promised to be faithful. I want you to come to a place of understanding so that you could judge God faithful, so that you could laugh with God. Amen. My message this morning is called, The Apple Doesn't Fall Far From the Tree. The Apple Doesn't Fall Far From the Tree. Uh, you know, I'm thrilled. I, I, I have three kids. I love them dearly. Uh, I'm about to have a third grandchild. Uh, really excited. Uh, it's like getting a prize outside of a Kellogg's Cornflakes box or something, you know? Uh, you haven't seen it, but you're excited and you're anticipating. So I got a third grandchild coming. But uh, <clears throat> my son, when my son was born, and I, I, I want you to understand, we had two, and I told God I wanted a third. And people said, oh, you want a boy, right? You know, it's that Italian thing, you want a boy. No, I, I just, I really enjoy kids. I, I do. And, and I love them as young adults. I love them as babies. There was a little, little girl out the front this morning. I couldn't help but give her a hug. Uh, their simplicity, their innocence. Uh, they are unique personalities at such a young age. And it, I just marvel over that stuff. And uh, so I wanted another baby. And uh, <clears throat> we, we had a boy. And uh, ironically, one day I was going through the black and white photos of my childhood. And the image of me and my son was identical. The only difference is one was black and white and one was color. And, uh, you know, when I was a little bit younger, I had longer hair. Now I'd just be happy to have hair. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I've been finding a lot of hair, though. People talk about you get older, you lose hair. Uh, I think I'm finding as much hair as I lose. The only thing that's coming out of my ears and other places I don't want it to, but... Uh, <laughs> I looked at some of the pictures of me when I was in my early 20s and I had a beard then and longer hair and I looked at my son and the similarities were freakish 
They were uncanny. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Many times we look at ourselves and subconsciously we think, yeah, I'm the worm in the apple. I want to tell you today, you're not the worm in the apple. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Last week I made a statement. Faith in a promise is a judgment. When you have faith, when you have confidence in the promises of God, faith in a promise is a judgment about the one who made the promise. If I make you a promise and you believe me, then that says something about what you think of me. When God makes a promise and we believe him, even in the face of everything seems like it's not going to happen, but we keep believing, like a dog to a bone, we're saying, I know the character of God. And it is the greatest compliment you could pay God. That's why God says it's impossible to come to him without faith. God told Moses and the Hebrew people he'd give them the promised land. I told you a couple of weeks ago the whole reason why it's called the promised land. You know, we've sort of religiously assimilated it to, yes, and we're going to go to the promised land, the promised land, and the promised land has become a thing. It was called the promised land no differently than any scripture on healing. It is the healing promises. This was the land that was promised. God told Abraham, I'm going to give you and your descendants this land. I promise. And Abraham believed that promise. So much so that whenever they talked about it, even though they didn't have it yet, they referred to it as the promised land. It was the promise they were standing on that God made and they believed that it was going to come to pass. So here they are now. Moses, uh, Moses is on the scene Abraham went to be with his forefathers and uh, they're on the edge of the promised land and Moses says, let's send out 10, 12 spies. And uh, he reminded the people and the spies, God said it's a land of milk and honey and God will give us this land, the promised land, the land that God promised. And so the 10 spi 12 spies go out and all 12 come back, they say it is a good land and the fruit is amazing. It does flow with milk and honey. We saw a few giants there. You know, there were some, then we saw all these other people, some here, some there, and blah, blah, blah. And they said which tribes were in which parts of the Canaan land. And uh, so Joshua, being the young guy, and Caleb, being a young, older guy, said, we can do it. Come on, let's go tell the people now. We've reported to Moses, we're ready. And the other 10 froze in their own fear. And they changed their story. And I shared that with you. I read it to you the other week. They, they changed their story. Fear will get you to believe a lie. Fear will get you to believe a lie. Anything you fear, it's a lie. Fear speaks only one language, and that is the language of exaggeration and lies. What you fear is a lie. 
Find the promises of God and stand on the promises and make your fears submit to the name of Jesus Christ. Can I get an agreement? Amen. And so in Numbers 13, uh, we have the conclusion, and, and this is just intro, so uh, Joshua and Caleb, they say, come on, let's go. We're going to tell all the people, we're ready to go into battle and take this land. And the ten freeze, and they start spreading a bad report to everybody. And in Numbers 13, verse 33, they said, we saw the giants there, the descendants of Anak. Now, there were some. If you read earlier, there were some. Now they changed it. Everyone is of great size. And the land devours everyone. He says, we saw the giants there. This is what they said. The descendants of Anak who come from Nephilim. And we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. Now I preached that a week or so ago. Here's today. I want to make a point. Because we are created in the image of God, their failure to see God correctly is what caused them to fail to see who they were. This is the promised land. God said, I'm going to give you the land. They said, no, we're grasshoppers next to these giants. We can't do it. The first mistake they made was they did not project the correct image of God. Instead of projecting the goodness and the greatness of God, they projected a picture subconsciously of a God who doesn't tell the truth, who exaggerates and can't keep a promise because the promise is an exaggeration. You see, when we doubt the promise of God, we have doubted the one who made the promise. And so their image of God was tainted, so they had no faith to stand on. It is very important that our image of God isn't tainted. Otherwise, we won't have faith to stand on. If you don't make time to worship, and I defined worship as projecting the goodness and the greatness of God to the forefront of your mind. If we don't take time to worship God in the cool of the day, we won't have faith to believe in God in the heat of the battle. And uh, so these guys had not projected the goodness and the greatness of God to the forefront of their minds. And so when the, even before the battle came, they froze, they choked. Now here's a statement. I want you to put it up on the screen for me, Matt. This is really important. You will never fully see who you are destined to be until you correctly see who God is. Amen. You will never fully see who you're destined to be until you correctly see who God is. Why? Because you're created in His image. So if the enemy can distort the image of God, you'll have no faith to stand on because there's no character to trust, number one. And number two, subliminally and in a subconscious way, but in a very real spiritual way, if you defame the image of God, if you believe God is less than you are created in that image and you are automatically involved in tearing yourself down. 
As we destroy the image of God, we destroy our destiny and who we are called to be. You will never see who you are destined to be until you correctly see who God is. That's why this series is so important because everything starts with God. In the beginning, God created. In the beginning, God. Everything starts with God. And unless we get the Godhead in the correct place, our head will always be in the wrong place. I thought that was better than the... I'm going to try it again. (laughs) Until we get the Godhead in the right place... Our head will never be, will always be in the wrong place. I think it was better the first time. But anyway, let's keep going. You can watch it on YouTube afterwards. <laughs> Hear how I said it the first time. All right, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. I'm going to prove this to you from Scripture again. You see, they saw themselves as grasshoppers because they didn't see how big God is. And if God isn't that big, God can't keep his promise. We can't trust God. And then who are we? God said we're his people. Yeah. You can't mess with the image of God and not mess with your destiny. You poo-poo the image of God or make little of the image of God or allow the enemy to infiltrate your image of God. He is taking away pieces of your destiny. Don't let him do it. Ephesians chapter 1, starting with verse 17, Paul says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, notice he says, I keep asking. Why? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. He's about to say, I want you to get a revelation. Yeah, we, we want church to be so quick and easy. I got to tell you, the devil ain't making it quick and easy out there. So somebody better give you the stuff where the rubber hits the road. Paul said, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, will give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. He didn't say so that you may know him. He's writing to the church. They already know him. But there are degrees of knowing God. And Paul says, I want you to know him better. Why better? Because sometimes we have religious knowledge that creeps into our understanding of who God is. And it defames God. It maims God. It puts God in a box. It limits God. And it destroys our destiny. I'll have that every, every sermon. <laughs> Praise God. He says, I, I pray and I keep on praying. He said, Pastor, you've been on this subject for a while. Yes, I preach and I keep on preaching that the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation will bring to you the knowledge of the greatness and the goodness of God that you might see him as he is. 
don't think you guys use Brillo nowadays, but in my day, we had a hair cream called Brillo. And they used to say, a little dab will do you. I don't want a little dab of God. I want the whole shalata. I want the whole bang lot. I want all of it. Bathe me in it. Wash me in it. Baptize me in all of who God is. Just wait till I get excited. Let's go to the next verse, verse 18. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened. There's revelation that goes beyond common knowledge. In 60 minutes with announcements and worship, I can only give you common knowledge. But when you're hungry, you go beyond common knowledge and the eyes of your understanding are enlightened. It's where the spirit of wisdom and revelation flows. And I want to go to the place of revelation and wisdom. Can I get an agreement? I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Stop. He starts by saying, I want you to know him better so that you can know who you are. He's about to list three things and it all has to do with who you are. It's divine order. You will never come into your rightful place until you put God in his rightful place. Divine order. And so he prays first. I pray. I keep on asking God. I keep pestering him. I keep sending the Holy Ghost after you guys in my prayer meetings. And I keep asking God to give them revelations in their sleep. Visit them in, when they're driving the car. I got to tell you, we do that here every morning. We have prayer meetings every morning. And I am constantly putting the Holy Ghost on you and telling God to show up in your office, to show up in your car, to show up in your dreams. I mean it. I take my responsibility seriously. I am the shepherd of this house under Jesus and I pray every morning. I am constantly, Jan's there. Is that not true? Do I not often pray that over this congregation? God, sick them. Let them get revelations. Let them have waves of glory. Let them see you. God, show them who you are. This is what Paul said. I want you to understand. I want you to have the right image of God so you can have the right image of who you are. Hang on a second. Good preaching, Pastor Ross. Number one, I pray that you know the hope to which he's called you. That's destiny. I want you to know the destiny. I want you to get a revelation of the hope that God's called you to. He's got a plan and he's hoping that you'll get with the program so that you get in the plan. Too many of us are flying below. You know, you've heard the expression flying below the radar. Too many of us are flying below the plan of God. He wants to lift you up. Paul said, I hope you get the bigger picture. Number two, 
I pray that you'll understand the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. In other words, you have inherited his glory. The glorious inheritance. You have inherited the glory of God. What does that mean? Glory speaks about character. Honor speaks about power. David says, what is man that you crowned him? You made him a little lower than the angels, yet you crowned him with glory and honor. Man was created in the image of God to do the things of God here on earth. And David marvels about it, and God repeats it in Hebrews through the writer of Hebrews he repeats Psalm chapter 8 and he says what is man that though you created him lower than the angels you crowned him with glory and honor that he might rule over the earth he says I I hope you get the revelation of the riches of God's glorious inheritance you've inherited his glory You say, okay, what do I do with that? You have become a partaker of the divine nature of God. You see, you look at yourself in the mirror and you say, oh, my beard's going gray. And I'm losing some of my former glory. And God's saying, buddy, look in the mirror of my word. Everything I am, I put in Jesus. And everything that's in Jesus, I put it in you. Yes! <laughs> That's a, another whole chapter. Number three, and that you might know his incomparably, nothing compares to the power that we have in Jesus Christ. Look at this, his incomparably great power for us, for us who believe. The power, Paul's saying, I hope you get the revelation. I hope you see God as he is because until you see God as he is, you will never understand the hope of your calling. You will never get the revelation that you've inherited his glory and you will never understand that in you is a power that is incomparable. It's amazing. I said to you that glory and honor, glory speaks of character and honor speaks of position, power, and authority. And here he is. He's wanting us to get the revelation of the inheritance of God's glory and the power of God that's in us. I'm sorry. You come to this church, a little dab ain't going to do you as far as this barber's concerned. I'm going to try to pour so much on you and in you, I might even spit on you. And if you sit anywhere near the front, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Those of you live streaming with us, say thank you, Jesus, for the screen. (laughs) I want to show you something. Well... Let's keep going. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. So he's talking about the power that's in you. 
And then he's saying that power that's in you that's incomparable is the same as the power that he exerted when he raised Jesus from the dead. I've got the character of God and I've got the power of God and if I don't believe it, I won't see it. If I diminish the image of God, I diminish the image I was created in. I believe I am who he says I am because I believe he is who he says he is. Yeah, absolutely. I'm having fun. (laughs) It goes on. The same power he, he exerted when he raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority. Now remember, he's comparing. The incomparable power that's in you is the same power that he exercised when he raised Jesus from the dead, put him in heavenly places, and made every power and authority be subject to him. The incomparably great power that is in you is the same power that allows Jesus to stand in the heavens with the enemy and the whole kingdom of darkness under his feet. Sometimes I think we speed read the Bible. And we don't really get it. That's why I refuse to speed preach. Because to me it's important that you get it. Because if you don't get it, I'm going to get it. That's why Paul kept praying. I pray they get the revelation. I pray they get the revelations. <laughs> I'm playing with you. He placed all things under his feet, appointed him to be the head over everything for the church. Who is the church? His body. Watch this. His body, not just his body, just not any old body. Watch what it says. This is Bible. Which is his body the fullness, the completion, the whole picture of himself who fills everything in every way. So when you look in your mirror, is your mirror big enough to see the fullness of God that's in you? Some of us need to get a bigger mirror. That little round mirror will do if you crimp on the image of God. But if you're going to see God as he really is, you need a bigger mirror. Because when you look in the mirror of who God is, then you'll see the completion of Christ in you. Wow. You want to go deeper? You come to Bible school. I have three hours a night to labor something and really show you scripture after scripture after scripture. I don't pull things out of the air. I will show you through numerous different angles how each doctrine is substantiated wholly in the word of God. 
Now watch this. We're going to switch gears slightly. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. But we all, this is the New King James Version. But we all, is that you? Oh, about five people, everybody must have left. But we all, this is Southerners talking, we all. Y'all, y'all there? Y'all hearing me? But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of God, as we look at the completion of who God is, as we project the full image of God's character and his power, the goodness and the power of God, and we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of God's greatness and his goodness, we are being transformed into the same image from one level of God's glory to another level of God's glory by the Spirit of the Lord. And you want me to preach a short sermon? How do you preach that short when it is so full of implications and power? Dude, did you hear what Paul just said? That is amazing. <laughs> I've, 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 I've gotten this revelation years ago and it still just blows my mind every time I read it. That as I hold, as I project, as I gaze upon the fullness of the goodness and the power of God, because he created me in his image, as I judge him correctly, the spirit of God behind that judgment of truth will take me and transform me into the image of God that I see. If you, if, thank you, thank you. If you understand just that, then you'd understand. Oh, okay. Of course I can do miracles in Jesus' name. Of course I can get a word of knowledge. Of course I can prophesy. Of course I could lay hands on the sick. You see, this is the kind of stuff we get in Bible college and I will deal with those religious demons that you've been fed and I will rip up their doctrines and their heresy and I will tear down religious thought and speak the truth of God's word into your head and remove the obstacles so that you stop being tethered to the natural and you get unleashed in into the realm of the Spirit. As you behold, put this on the screen, Matt. You might want to take a picture of this. As you behold... As you gaze and meditate upon, as you project the glory and the goodness and the greatness of God, 
you are being transformed into the same image by the Spirit of the Lord. Why do I want to up your picture of God? Because it'll make my counseling load a lot less. <laughs> Why do I want to up the image of God in you? Because it'll up you. It'll take you to another level. You were created in his image. And if his image is tainted and distorted in your mind, you put a judgment on yourself. Judge not lest you be judged. As you judge, you are judged. These are spiritual principles. And so what we defame him with, where we doubt him, where we question him, where we don't believe that he's really telling the truth, one we take away from the glory of God, we're taken away from the glory of our destiny. Wow. Man, this is powerful stuff. This is powerful stuff. Praise God. So, I'm going to conclude. I, I, I've got copies of notes here. I made 40 this week. There's a heap of scriptures I'm not going to get through. But let me give you an example. Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. In the New King James Version, it says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You see, when you understand that the image of God is, in the, is the image of Jesus and that the image that of Jesus has now been stamped inside of you, then anything Jesus did, you can do. And doctrinally, it's sound because if Jesus did what he did only because he was God, oh, he's God. That's why he did a word of knowledge and he got prophecies. And that's why demons obeyed him. Phooey! If that's the truth, then he's telling you that because he's God and he can do that stuff, now you're going to do it. Why? You're God? No. Jesus did what he did as a man touched by God. Was he God? Yes. But the Bible says he left his divinity behind and he became flesh. That's why the New Testament calls him son of man and son of God. And guess what? You got the same title. You are son of man. What's your father's name? No, no. Your natural father. Trying to be more spiritual than me. Okay, I know you have one father. What's your father's name? I know you have one father, but what's his name? The one you have, what's his name? All right, Juan, what's your mother's name? Olga. Olga. You are the son of Juan and Olga, but you are the son of God. Isn't it interesting? Jesus was called son of man, son of God. You are son of man, but you are son of God of God. You see, this verse is saying, I can do all things because Christ, that image of who God is, has been imparted into me. Some of Juan is in you. Some of Olga is in you. But I got good news, buddy. All of Jesus is in us. Yeah. He's not just on us. He's not just on us. He's in us. Christ in you. The hope of glory. 
Jesus, the image of God, has been stamped in you. Yes. And everyone who left after 60 minutes just missed that awesome bit. That word strength is from the Greek word, put it up on the screen, and dunamo. And uh, it comes from dunamis, which is miraculous supernatural power and ability. And in dunamo means to impart ability, to share power, to empower, to enable, to strengthen from within. The word in, E-N, means from within. I can do all things because the image of Christ is stamped within me and that incomparable great power is in me. Praise God. I'm having fun. You should have been with me when I was writing this. The building was locked up after you left, Judah. The building was locked up. I had the worship blaring in here. I'm in there. I got all the doors opening. I'm writing. I'm shouting. I come in here. I start screaming. Then I start weeping. I start thanking God. God, why are you so good to us? And then another wave of revelation comes over me, and I start jumping and dancing and saying, thank you, Jesus. I know who I am. I know who I am because I know who you are. Isn't it interesting that God said to Moses, Moses said, who do I tell Pharaoh sent me? He said, tell him I am that I am. You gotta know he is that he is so that you know who you are in Jesus Christ. So I take scriptures like that and I say, I can do all things. Oh, well, you know, I've been struggling with smoking. I've been struggling with porn. I've been struggling with, you know, doing a couple of joints of marijuana. I've been struggling with lying. I've been struggling with fear. I can do all things. Why? Because that power that has no comparison. When you say, oh, well, I can't help it, you've just elevated the power of smoking or the power of marijuana or the power of some vice to be greater than the incomparable power that is in you. You have projected to the forefront of your mind of intellect and your mind of emotions, you have elevated the power of the enemy to a level greater than Christ in you. Well, you just feel so defeated. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb. The blood of the lamb is what made it happen. That's what made it legal. 
and by the and I did it like that so that you'd laugh so that you don't forget the picture. If you don't put your mouth in gear, the enemy will get in gear. I can do all things. Oh, but, you know, my daddy had a temper and, you know, and this used to happen and that used to happen and I can't help it. And, you know, I, I, I can do all things. You see, when I need to change, I change who my daddy is. When I need to change, I start to project the image of the goodness and the greatness of God. That's my daddy. I was created in his image. Yes, I was born in the flesh, after the flesh, according to Alfonso and Mary Scarallo, but I have been born again. Yes, yes, yes. All right. Paul says in Romans, speaking of the first Adam, he says, if we bore the likeness of the first Adam, if we were all sinners and had a fallen nature because of our first great, 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 great granddaddy, how much more shall we bear the likeness of the last Adam? If the first Adam was a human being and he could impartate, impart uh, a sinful nature and brokenness and corruption into my character 6,000 years later, then how much more can the power of the living spirit of Jesus Christ impart to me way more than the first Adam ever did? The last Adam brought more victory and empowerment than the first Adam brought damage. Some people preach the gospel like it's damage control. No, the gospel isn't damage control trying to fix up what the first Adam did. The gospel is God's power in control. Hallelujah. Praise God. You see, you got to get the word of God and speak it over your life. I did that last week with you with verses about God. Declaring who God is and amplifying it and building it up and speaking it out, getting your emotions involved. I can do all things. I'm not going to be defeated. They said I can't do it. Oh, yes, I can. They don't know my God. Those that know their God will be strong and do mighty things. I can do all things because the incomparable great power of Jesus is in me. And the same spirit that raised him from the dead will raise me from mediocrity to superiority. He will give me creative genius. He will give me anointing. He will give me ability. He will give me eyesight to see in the spirit what 2020 can't see in the natural hallelujah santo 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 gloria a dios hallelujah nada es imposible para dios hallelujah and for all of you gringos that means nothing's impossible for god <laughs> 
I don't have time to go through more scriptures of who you are. They're on the notes. But if you're just going to speed read it, you missed it. You got to take those verses. You got to pull it apart. Clothe yourself in those verses. You see, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 to 4. His divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. God's divine power has given me everything I need in my natural life and in my spiritual life. And whatever was lacking in my natural life due to my DNA or due to how my parents treated me or due to the experience in life, God's divine power has made up the difference and surpassed it. God's divine power has given me everything I need in the natural life and in my spiritual life through the knowledge of Him. If you don't get the knowledge of Him right, you will never step into the fullness of who you're meant to be. See it? Through the knowledge of Him who called us by His glory and His virtue. There's a number of scriptures. Grab the notes. In conclusion, as the musicians come, the final word is this. You're not the worm in the apple. You're the apple that doesn't fall far from the tree. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's stand and give the Lord a round of applause. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. I didn't finish yet. <laughs> Sorry, Pastor. <laughs> if we run out, I'll print more. Just hang around. I'll print more, I promise. It's like little kids trying to grab the candy. I want to make sure I get mine. <laughs> if we run out, I'll print more. Now listen, listen to me. You must be born again. You must. Jesus said it, you must. If you're not born again, all you are is son of Mary and Alfonso or Juan and Holga. He is son of man, son of God. And we were created to carry his image in us. I didn't say try to be like him. Whether you try or not, you may not stand up to the fullness of who you are, but the truth is the fullness of Jesus is in you. You must be born again. It's a spiritual thing. You must ask Jesus into your heart. And if you've never done that, you might be a good Catholic. God bless you. You might light a lot of candles and do all the masses. God bless you. That's, that's good. Nice. You might be a good altar boy. You might be a good Baptist. You might even be, you know, you go to a Pentecostal church. I don't care. All the names will burn anyway. And the only thing that will pass the test is the blood of Jesus. So forget your denomination. 
I'm not preaching against any church. If you think you're going to make it because you go to grace and faith, you need to have a counseling session with me because you are severely wrong. You need to have Jesus Christ in your heart. You need to ask him into your life. And right now, if you've never done that, good Catholic, good Presbyterian, good Anglican, good Methodist, good Baptist, good Pentecostal, You've never asked Jesus in your heart, friend, right now. While everyone's eyes are wide open. Because if their eyes being open isn't worth you putting your hand up, you didn't get the picture. Nothing to be ashamed of. So if you've never asked Jesus into your heart, put your hand up and say, I want to do that right now. Come on. Put your hand up. If that's you, put your hand up. If that's you. If you've walked away from God and you want to come back to Christ, put your hand up. Put them both up. I surrender.